Hey, Uncle Weed, why don't you break out some of that private stash? I'm hunkered down under a makeshift driftwood structure of some kind in Clackwatt Sound on the west coast of Vancouver Island. This is an example of what happens when a rainforest doesn't get any rain for an entire summer. <laughs> I don't want to see big stumps, I want to see big trees. Maybe we'll make things a little bit better, if not perfect. A little better, if not perfect. A little better, if not perfect. Continuing on with my musings and recollections from a 2006 journey to the Clackwood Sound area, during which I compare and contrast my trip in the early 90s to participate in the infamous logging protest blockades and try and figure out what's up with all this sustainability and that tension between economics and environment. In this part two, I guess you'd call this the recollection, the, the meditations, the meditations and the lessons learned from the blockade line. I only spent a few days out there, um, but seeing the people on the lines and bearing witness and participating in that action and seeing it, there was a couple of really critical things that came to mind in my meditations during that time that have stayed with me all the time. And some of it kind of ties into my interest in nonviolence and, and, uh, and patience and respect and forgiveness and compassion that's come from my, uh, my uh, mid-league uh, studies of Buddhism and, and, uh, and, of course, Thoreau and Gandhi and, and some of my other heroes. But um, it seemed to me, looking at the loggers on one side... And looking at the uh, the ecology-minded people on the other side, although I don't want to call them environmentalists or advocates or friends of the woods or whatever, but uh, I look at what people really wanted and try to think, well, how do we resolve this into a win-win? Which it doesn't seem it's going to be, but I'm going to talk about that as I talk more about the contemporary scene. But what it seemed to me is the loggers and the environmentalists, environmental advocates, both want there to be trees. One side wanted them so there'd be jobs, and the other side wanted them to be recreation. And and there was really the critical tension. So everyone wanted the trees because everyone wants there to be comfortable places to live. The loggers, however, they ended up in this area. They live out here because, well, by choice, you most of those folks, burly, uh, strong tradesmen like that, could get a job doing all sorts of difficult labor whether it be in oil fields or construction sites or whatever, but they live here because they have some family heritage here or they, they love this extreme uh, west piece of the West Coast with just unbridled ocean coming at you all the time continually. And there's something very uh, remote and magical considering how close you are to civilization here, relatively speaking. But they want a place that they can live and, and raise their family and enjoy their environment and make money. 
the environmentally minded folks. They want trees so they can come and enjoy it with their family and perhaps live here and somehow exist here. And, uh, and of course, there's a little bit of the, the generalization we can think of with that, with those city folk coming here, become, comes the gentrification and, and uh, bait shops become latte stands and, and uh, motels encroach up and down the once pristine seashore. And there's definitely that, that extreme to it at all. But somewhere in there, there's some sort of middle ground. And if there's a way to replace the economic benefits that the folks have realized from cutting down trees, uh, that's one step along the way. And if there's a way to minimize the impact of tourists coming in here so it doesn't you know, degrade the, the quality of life that the folks who live here now... Uh, significantly, well, that's another bit of the tension that's really uh, um, leave, this really something worth exploring, I think. And so, in a lot of ways, that's, it was that that said that led me to finding out about, about the industrial purposes applications of hemp, because I started thinking about well, where do these logs go? And so many of the logs, they're it's softwood, right? And it's not used for making, uh, you know, fine furniture or noble things as hiking staffs and guitar necks or, uh, you know, even log homes. Most of it is pulped and made into paper and made into particle board. And most of it is the logs are just shipped out raw. So there's no value added uh, component adding money from the expensive mill work and finish work that really are the more desirable jobs all said and done. I think even the burliest lumberjacks would say that occasionally they would like to not get up at four in the morning and go work in wet woods. Because a lot of the logging, honestly, is done uh, in the fall and winter time when there's less risk of forest fire. Um, so it's, it's tough work, uh, to be sure. And a lot of these people, frankly, have just never thought of it another way. And this is the trees are their, are their meal ticket. And no, nothing's taken that away because you do make some nice money out there, uh, despite the considerable uh, risks to life and limb. So... I started thinking, well, if these products are just being made, uh, these trees, these majestic trees that cause uh, irreparable damage when you yank them out, I mean, because clear-cutting is not pretty. If you're not familiar with the process of clear-cutting, they go in and cut every single living thing down. Everything comes down and gets drug out, and it tears down. It denudes the entire side of a mountain and then crisscrosses it with roads and skid lines to get these trees up and down. So it's not like they're going in and taking out every forest tree and hopping it back out the, their shoulders like the seven dwarfs, right? That's just not happening. They go down and take down every single tree on the side of a mountain. So what happens here in the rainforest is when it rains, the whole side of the mountain comes down. Nothing ever establishes itself again. They hire tree planters to go in and plant one kind of tree all over the side of the hill for the summer, but one tree does not a forest make. And what you end up with these these uh, graveyards with the second growth trees going in, and you're hopping them from giant stump to giant stump in amongst all these uh, scrubby little second growth trees. And uh, but anyway, the the loggers. Uh, and the people who own these lands consider this their meal ticket. And I frankly just don't agree with the right for them to use the land for their purposes. Because even though there was, like the railroad barons, the timber barons, they sucked the teat of these forests and cut everything down, right? Everything came down, and almost everything you see in any kind of urban area is certainly um, second growth, if not third growth. There's really few stands of remaining old growth trees around here. But anyway, that's their mail, t- mail ticket. That's, their, that's what pays for their groceries and all their other crap, like 
you know, they're, uh, you know, SUVs and quads. And, and I don't mean to generalize, but you look at the folks that live here and you look what's in their driveway and, and whatever. And there's a lot of those creature comforts that, I mean, certainly if I had a job that paid me ridiculous sums of money, I'd be buying, uh, you know, fancy kayaks and bikes too. So I don't want to say it's a question of nobility or, other, uh, or not. Um, or, but there is a question of, of ecological impact. It's kind of a bigger question that I'm uh, going to attempt to tackle here in my meanderings. I don't know what they mean yet Cause I say Keep it light enough to travel Keep it light enough to travel Promise me we won't go into the nightclub I feel so screwed up when I'm in there Can't tell the bouncers from the customers And I don't know which ones I prefer
to travel Keep it light enough Light enough for all Keep it light enough Light enough for all Is it light enough Light enough Light enough for all So anyway, I thought, well, if there was a way to um, one, get more value from the wood products that are coming out of here, and, and uh, which would allow selective logging, and two, replacing most of the needed for that pulp with other products that can uh, be made into those same things like paper and particle board and, and the like. Now, this was in about 1992. And for me, uh, although I was uh, certainly an enthusiast of cannabis, um, really my only impact with hemp as an industrial product is my buddy Marty, uh, Mar- Marty the Potter, had um, you know a hemp shirt that I'd sort of taken over on one road trip one summer, and uh, um, it was a nice shirt, and I used it, and I really liked it, and I sort of took it over, and it occurred to me that, oh, geez, this is hemp. And I didn't really put them to- all together until I started really examining alternative fiber sources after, um, after the Collect What Sound blockades. And... Now, I didn't just go directly to hemp and go, this is great. I really tried to research and say, well, what other cultures make paper, make particle board, and, and the like. And I looked at bamboo and canaf and, and flax and uh, recycled wood chips and byproducts. And, um, and there's lots to be said from, from all these things. I just want to stop the um, unhindered, what seems unhindered, and non-sustainable logging practices while there's still some left and put that energy into coming up with alternatives that promote the economy while also protecting the environment. And frankly, any way you slice and dice it, the way it's being done now, it just doesn't work, right? It's not working. Now, um, and I know it's not working because driving in here, all around this area, there's still these mountains that are just domed with with nothing because the trees have been pulled down they're crisscrossed with the logging roads and I know every tree can't be saved and I know I use paper products and wood-based products in my everyday life and I'm the one you know I have a campfire at night and all that right I'm just talking about the endless supply of junk mail and newspaper and toilet paper and paper towels and all this barrage of cheap crap that's produced from these forests just shouldn't be the case. If those things want to be made and there's such an enormous and incredible and indelible demand for those products, and certainly some of them they are, I like my toilet paper, don't get me wrong, then let's make them out of something else. Let's use up fields and grow hemp and canaf and make paper out of those products. Let's harness that we like quality of bamboo and use that to make paper and make construction goods. Let's not take down the hundreds of years old forest. And that's what it came to me. And that tension that I felt then is certainly the case now. Um, the, uh, the way the town's set up and just the, the, the feeling and just people watching, it's easy to see, but it's certainly um, very easy to see the way that this area has changed since I was here last. Now, when I was here, uh, I remember, uh, besides camping at Peace Camp, I spent a couple nights camping on Long Beach, and we found a place to pull over and just walk down in, a, in a, one of these driftwood s- structures, put up some uh, logs, and camp. Now, it occurred to me that, that was, it wasn't a park then, and I don't know what the 
official political allspices of of it were at this at that point. Pardon me. another installment in my series of musings and recollections from Clockwood Sound in which I try to solve all the conundrums between ecology and economics in digestible, bite-sized podcast nuggets. If you were at the Clockwood Blockades, I would love to hear from you and hear your uh, recollections rather than trust in my own. If you have something to say about all the sustainability stuff, well, chime in yourself, won't you? Wander on over to Chugalon.com. It's ideal for ramblers. 